Psalms 127, verse 1. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to read it together. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Let's read it together. You ready? One, two, three. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. One more time. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Before you're seated, shake a few people's hands and tell them, are you under construction? Then you may be seated. We're all under construction. I'll say that one more time. Hopefully we'll get an amen. We're all under construction. The story of a man and his wife and also his, mother, his mother-in-law, they went on vacation to the Holy Land. Now, while they were on vacation, the mother-in-law passed away. Now, the undertaker told him, said, well, you can have her shipped home for $5,000 or you can bury her here in the Holy Land for only $150. The man thought about it, and he told him he would just have her shipped home. The undertaker then asked, why? Why would you spend $5,000 to ship your mother-in-law home when it would be wonderful to have her buried right here and only spend $150? The man turned to the undertaker and said, well, there was a man that died here 2,000 years ago. He was buried here, and three days later, he rose from the dead, and I just can't take that chance. We're all under construction, in-laws and outlaws alike. For the, fa- for the past few weeks, we've been talking about and going over the life of this man by the name of David. Somebody say David. David. And we've been talking about how God had constructed his life on purpose for a purpose. He went from the shepherd's field to the battlefield to the royal palace. And the man that we've been really going over and we've been talking about is the shepherd's boy, David, the soldier boy, David, and now even here today, the king, the man, David. And so I want you to know that everything that we see here within this story of this man, David, that there is a construction pathway that had been created for him even before he stepped onto the scene there in the Old Testament. Now, What we find out about David is that when he was young, he was anointed king as a teenager. But when he was anointed king as a teenager, he was told, I've anointed you, but now you got to go back into the shepherd's field. In other words, even though you are going to be president over this country, even though you are going to be king over this country, I need you to go back and get in the shepherd's field. Now, for those of us that think, well, man, I'm going to be the president. I'm going to be the king. Let me take the position. In God's kingdom, it's not like that. If you want to be first, you've got to be last. You want to be the greatest, be the least. You want to be the king, go be a shepherd. That's how it works in the kingdom of God. Many times things are upside down or they're flipped upside down. Matter of fact, Before you get onto the battlefield, you must first learn what it's like to be on the shepherd's field. We even talked about how in the Valley of Elah, where David and Goliath, the very famous story of David and Goliath, there was a vast canyon. There were Philistines on one side and Israelites on the other side, but really what was happening, there was no battle going on. It was just a whole lot of this going on, right? You guys have seen those fights before, right? I don't know if you've ever seen them, but it's happened quite a few times. I remember I've seen quite a few where one guy's like, what's up? The other guy's what's up? Well, what's up? You want some? You want some? And they just like, for like five minutes, you want some? You want, you want some? You want, I know you don't want, what? Well, are you lucky? Man, you lucky. You lucky. He's holding me back. Hold me back. Hold me back. He lucky. You're lucky. Man, you, yeah, you don't want none? Oh, man, I let them, man, once I let these dogs go, I don't know their name. I can't bring them back. I, well, you don't want none. You don't want none. And a lot of times, that's even how Christians are. They just talk the talk, but they don't walk it. 
Oh, devil, you want some. You devil, you want some. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Of course, he's been trying to go after you for a long time. But are you prepared to give him some? Are you ready to fight the fight? See, David wasn't even given the ranks of a soldier. He was actually given the ranks of an errand boy. He was just supposed to go over there and deliver some cheese. That's it. Just, uh, matter of fact, think about that. Title, cheese boy. That's all he's supposed to do. Just give cheese. Give some bread, give some cheese. But the one thing that I love is that David had been prepared for this battle even though he wasn't in their battle. He had been prepared, getting prepared by God in the shepherd's field. So when he shows up on the scene in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32, he tells the king, David says to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Now, why could he be able to tell the king this? Because in verse 37, you read later on that he had already fought a lion and he fought a bear. He knew how to fight. Somebody say, he knew how to fight. See, and so often, many times when we, were, we are facing our own giants, we forget what we ought to remember, and we remember what we ought to forget. But the one thing that David did not forget is he did not forget this. He didn't forget what it was like to have heart. I don't have a, a whole lot of techniques. I don't have a whole lot of resources like everybody else. I don't have a sword. I don't have a shiny car. I don't have a big house. But what I do have, I got heart. And that I can always bring to the battlefield. See, and then we found out about who was in the battle. And when you're in the battle, you need to know something, that God provides unique techniques for unique people. See, Apparently, having a huge sword was not what David needed. All he needed was a rock. Tell your neighbor, all you need is a rock. See, David stood tall with the trust in his God and the courage of the call. Listen to me. We, we learned that David, he picked up five smooth stones, and this is what I've learned. When it comes to the battlefield, I don't want a five-star hotel. I want a five-rock soldier. I want somebody who's just got a few things, and they're just ready, and they're being prepared. They know how to use it. It may not be like everybody else, but hey, I know how to use some prayer. I may not know how to preach like that. I may not know how to dress like that. I know, may not know how to talk like that, but what I do have, just give me a chance. Just give me a chance. And I've got this. See, that's what David represented. And when he went into the battle there with Goliath, there was danger. But danger reveals both strength and weakness. Danger reveals both strength and weakness. See, King Saul should have been, remem should have been remembered with the greats. He should have remembered God's power. And he should have been the one to gone forth and fight the giant. But instead of King Saul fighting the giant, King Saul became a king coward. He sat down and he allowed a cheese boy to fight in his place. He allowed somebody else to fight his battle. David writes a very famous psalm in Psalms chapter 23, verse 4. He says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I said this a couple weeks ago, and I even said it again, I believe, last week. You need to know something. Your songs of tomorrow are being written by your struggles of today. Whatever you're going through right now, I want you to know something. It's not by accident that you're going through it. It's not by accident that you feel like giving up. It's not by accident like you feel like just kind of isolating yourself from everyone else. It's not by accident. Listen, my friend, but the struggle that you have today is writing your song of tomorrow. I know you may feel like that, but like Pastor Toby said earlier, we don't go by feelings, but we go by faith. Your faith is growing stronger. Your faith is growing. Your faith, something's happening inside of you. All of a sudden, your legs are getting stronger. Your arms are getting stronger. Something inside of you is growing stronger. Why? Because the struggle is revealing your strength and also your weakness. We found out also about how the battle, when you're in this battle, the battle many times is a lonely experience. In other words, no one can fight your battle. It's yours. 
It's your battle. You can try. You can call up your best friend and, oh, I need some advice, man. What do I do? Uh, I got this happening. Or if you're in school, you're like, man, this teacher in this class, I don't get it. I feel like giving up. Or, or if you're in your marriage and you're like, man, I don't know what to do with this guy. I don't know what to do with this girl. She doesn't understand me. I just forget this whole thing. Listen, my friend, the battle is a lonely experience, but it's your fight. It's your fight. I know it's tough. I know it's difficult, but it's your fight. And you know what that also means? Is that because it's your fight, it's also your victory. So no one else will understand what it is when you have true joy. No one else will understand when you start smiling more than normal. Nobody else will understand when you start saying God bless you more than normal and kind of above what everyone else is saying. Why are you so happy? Because you don't understand the struggle I went through to get this happiness. You don't really understand. The battle is a lonely experience, but it's worth it. The battle also is a strengthening experience. There's nothing more stable than a Christian on their knees. It brings strength to your trust in your God. Also, the third thing is that the battles are a memorable experience. In other words, it's good to tell the lion and the bear stories every now and then. You got to share this because it encourages you with your past victories. This Wednesday night, we're going to have a, a lion and a bear service. That's what we're doing. We're having a shotgun service. And we're going to talk about all of the victories of what we had back then. Now you're probably saying, well, you're not supposed to dwell on the past. That's true. You're not supposed to dwell on the past. Matter of fact, I take it like this analogy. When it looks to your past, it's kind of like when you're in the uh, driver's seat and your rearview mirror is this big, right? It's this big. But your windshield is this big. In other words, you should be looking forward this much and looking backward this much. It's okay to look back every now and then. It's fine. But just make sure that your mirror is not this big. Oh, I remember when. No, 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 no. Just look at it and look at the victories. Look at what God brought you through. Look at, well, look at where you're at right now. The fact that some of you are here right now and you're able to go, that's a victory. Just that alone is a victory. My father talks about how uh, before he got saved, he got shot with, at a, with a shotgun at point-blank range. He should have been dead. So every time he was able to wake up and breathe was a <sighs> victory. Just that alone. Some of you, you OD'd more than once. Some of you, the car missed you just by that much. Some of you, for some reason, if it wasn't for the doctor, you would be dead right now. You should not be alive. So that's why, like David, he remembered. He looked in that rearview mirror, and he told, he told a King Saul, he said, look, I conquered a lion, and I conquered a bear, but I did it for my giants. Some of you here this morning, you got to realize something. You got some victories. Yes, it's a little tough. Yes, you're going through some struggles, but don't forget about your victories. Tell your neighbor, don't forget about your victories. Your victories God brought you through are to encourage you, even through your current battles if i could do it back then then i can do it now tell your neighbor remember there's a story that tells of two friends that they were walking through the desert during some point of the journey they had a large argument and one of the friends slapped the other one in the face the one who got slapped was hurt but without saying anything he wrote in the sand today my best friend Slap me in the face. They kept walking until they found an oasis where they decided to take a bath. The one who had been slapped got stuck in the mire and started drowning, but his friend had saved him. After he recovered from the near drowning, he wrote on a stone, Today, my best friend saved my life. The friend who had slapped and saved his best friend, he asked him, he says, After I hurt you, you wrote in the sand, and now you're writing on a stone. Why? The other friend replied, when someone hurts us, we should write it down in the sand where the winds of forgiveness can erase it away. But when someone does something good for us, we must engrave it in stone where no wind can ever erase it. Learn to write your hurts in the sand and carve your victories in the stone. Come on, if you believe that, give the Lord a hand of praise. Listen to me here. This Wednesday night, 
we're going to be bringing out some memorial stones. We're going to be bringing out some memorial victories. I want to challenge you, those of you within your life, when you get a victory, make a memorial stone. And you look at that thing and you say, man, if God delivered me back in 2000, he can deliver me in 2015. If he did it great for me in 2005, he's going to take me great into 2020. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds my future. And as long as God holds it, I know that I have the victory. No matter what, carve that thing in stone. And if someone hurts you, someone slaps you, you get it in the sand and you write it there. Say, God, forgive them. Psalms chapter 78, verse 70 says, He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep's pen. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands, he led them. Now here this morning, we've come upon the life of David now as a king. And as we study his life, we see the scriptures sharing that David started as a king at the age of 30 years old. He was anointed as youth, but royalty as time went on. Now what's interesting about the timing of David and his position of becoming the king of Israel is that, again, it didn't happen right away. Same as the shepherd boy, and now as a general of an army. Now, there were a lot of things that happened from the battlefield of Goliath to even now the hearing of the vacancy of the king of Israel. Now, here are a few things that took place from the time that we talked about from the very beginning of him being a shepherd's boy to now even the place in between. Now, first, let me just kind of catch you guys up real quick. First, David kills Goliath. Then King Saul gets very jealous of David. Then David falls in love with King Saul's daughter. King Saul uses that love to entrap David. Saul then tries to kill David. Jonathan, who is King Saul's son, and David, they become best friends. But then David flees from city to city and becomes a fugitive. Then Jonathan, the son of King Saul, gets furious, or fast and furious. <laughs> Come on, that was good. That was good. Yeah. There's no better timing unless Vin Diesel was here. That would have been. Jonathan gets very upset with his father over the treatment of David. Now, David, while he's a fugitive, becomes an actor in the city of the man whom he killed, Goliath. True story. David becomes an actor. Look it up. David gets to a cave called Abdullam. Then King Saul kills people who look like they're helping David. David then has an opportunity to kill Saul, but he doesn't. Then he gets another opportunity to kill him, and he doesn't. David then kicks it with the Philistines for a little while. Now remember, Goliath of Gath was fighting for the Philistines. So here he is now kicking it with the enemy. David, then in between time, he kills a few armies, and then King Saul dies. So now here we are, 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. It says, in the course of time, David inquired of the Lord. Shall I go up to, the, to one of the towns of Judah, he asked. The Lord said, go up. David asked, where shall I go? The Lord answered, to Hebron. Now, what I think is so strong about this portion of Scripture is that even though David had the right to go up at once and take his rightful position, he was actually humble about it. In other words, he waited. He had learned what it was like to have patience in the shepherd's field, and now he knew what it's like to have patience in the battlefield. He waited. Now, in his waiting, the Bible says that he inquired of the Lord. Now, what inquiring of the Lord means is that it means to get to know someone. Inquiring means get to know someone. I remember when I got counseled, uh, when I got premarital counseling before I got married with my wife, actually Pastor Paul and, and, and Carmen, they were actually our marriage counselors. And one of the things that they told us, I'll never forget, they said, listen, when you get married, you, you think you know them, you have no idea. But they said this, 
Don't worry about it because you're going to get to know them. You're going to get to know them. And those of you that understand marriage, right, all the married couples, right, when you first get together, oh, she's so cute, she's so fine. Then you start living together, you're like, oh, my God. Okay, hold on, wait a I don't know this person. And believe me, I know the women look at the men like, oh, my gosh, I, was, I wanted to change this guy. He ain't changing. Forget it. Go somewhere else. Well, that's what happened with David. When he was on the battlefield and he started going to all these different places, went to the Philistines, he started acting over here, started like, killing these armies. In that meantime, he started to get to know God. There became an intimacy. See, that's what knowing is. When you know somebody, it's because you know intimate thoughts, intimate details that no one else knows. That's what was happening with David. While David was fighting, he was getting to know God. See, you need to know this right now. Even in the midst of your fighting, you're getting to know God. You're getting to know who he is in your life, who he is in your weaknesses. That's what happened here with David. The Bible says that he was there in Hebron for seven and a half years. See, here in Hebron, this is where he learned how to first be king. It wasn't when he got up on that throne. It was actually while he was waiting for the throne. While he was waiting for that. That's where he learned to be king. The Bible says that he grew stronger in this city. But now this is what I want to look at here this morning. The Bible also says that he made some mistakes while he was in Hebron. This is actually where we learn about the weak side of David's character. We actually learn that David had six kids while he was there. Now listen, he didn't just have six kids. He had six different kids with six different baby mamas. Now what's important is because this area in his life would come up to haunt him later. This is why this conversation of David is so important as a king. Because, David, because this became David's downfall. His downfall wasn't the ability to conquer a kingdom. It was that he couldn't conquer the spirits within his own family. We're talking about kings, right? Fathers, listen up today. I'm going to be talking to you. We're talking about family. Someone say family. Now, in total, we read in Scripture, David has 20 sons and one daughter, which excludes actually the concubines and even their offspring, which actually they're not even named in Scripture. This is what I've learned. When you have big family, you have big problems. People say, more money, more problems. Eh, not really. Big family, you get big problems. Now, I can definitely relate to the Scripture. I've got a pretty big family. If you've ever met my family before, just my dad's side, he had nine brothers and sisters. My mom's side, nine brothers and sisters. That's not including my aunts, who actually one aunt on my mom's side had another nine uh, sons and daughters. And so on the Reese side, I have a Reese side, which is my mom's side, they take up at least a good you know, portion of the beach whenever they have family reunions. I don't know how you guys have family reunions, but they go to the beach and there's just my, I'm not talking my dad's, my mom's side. Whenever I go there, I think I haven't been to one in a long time. I'm snitching on my bad old self right now. But last I remember, there must have been at least about a good 170, 180 there. My mom's side. Now, my dad's side, oh, Jesus, help me, Lord. I get to meet them more and more as they come on by. Like, oh, you're my cousin. Oh, yeah, I'm your cousin. Hey, nice to meet you 35 years later, you know. Just met you. Because when you have big families, you get a lot of problems. This is what I found out. Somebody once said this, and I wrote it down. I thought it was funny. Families are like fudge. Very sweet, but with a lot of nuts. I got a lot of fudge in my family. Now, before we get into his family, I want to take a quick look at the things that he was able to accomplish in his reign as king. Now, this is important, but it's not too important as to the context of what we're looking at. Now, this is what he did as king. He expanded the boundaries of Israel from 6,000 to 60,000 square miles. In other words, let's just take it like this. When David become, became mayor of Hayward, 
He not only took over Hayward, but he took over everything from San Jose to Nevada. And he made it all Hayward. Think of it like that. He just took over the whole thing. That's a pretty good king to be able to do that. He set up extensive trade routes that reached throughout the known world. Because of these trade routes, wealth came into Israel like the nation had never seen before. Another thing that David did is that he unified the nation under one true God, and that was Jehovah. He was a king who lifted up the role of the priesthood, and he also destroyed all other idols that Israel had tried to worship prior to his reigning. He was a brilliant organizer, an awesome planner, a perfect manager, and he was even a cutting-edge military mind. Now, this man was awesome as king, but he lacked in a major way as a father. He had a few failures as a father. I want to take a look really quick at some of these failures that he had even as a father. The first failure that he had is that he got so involved in public pursuits that he lost control of his very own family. He got so involved in public pursuits that he lost control of his very own family. Listen to me, my friend. Do not try to please the people that are on mission unpleasable. It's not going to work. You could try it, but listen to me. You're not Tom Cruise. And mission impossible, it's not going to work. Well, no, 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 I'm trying try to, you can't please everybody. You just, you can't please everybody. This was David's downfall. He wanted to please everybody. But in pleasing everybody, he lost the somebodies. He lost the main ones that were in his life. Listen to me, my friend. You need to understand something. And I tell this to my son as much as I can. I try to tell this to all my children. It's what my dad used to tell me. He used to always say, my children are my first disciples. Before you try to go and get disciples everywhere else, and oh, I'm going to get that guy, and I'm going to go get this girl, don't forget God already gave you a guy, and he already gave you a girl. It's called your children. Those are your disciples. Train them up. In the way that they should go, the Bible says. And when they get older, they won't depart from it. Now, it doesn't say that they won't take a different route first. It just says as they get older, they won't depart from it. The word of God does not come back void. Isn't that right, Pastor Elias? Seen it firsthand here, even when they moved here just a couple of years ago. All of a sudden, I seen on video, and his son shows up, and they had a big old moment right there. And you're like, wow, what? I didn't even know what was going on. I'm like watching this video. Like, okay, I don't understand. What's going on here? I don't understand. Until I asked him, I go, I don't get it. What is this? My son, it's kind of like the prodigal son. My son, who was away, he's home. I said, wow, my gosh. Give the Lord a hand of praise for that. He went around, he went this way, he went that way. He went to go visit this warden and say hi to this warden and, you know, go say what's up to this guy and say what's up to this person. But as he got older, he came and he came right back. Listen to me, parents, listen to me. Your children, no matter how rowdy they get, no matter how secluded they get, no matter how boisterous they are or no matter how separated they are, that's still your disciple. That's still your son. That's still your daughter. I know it's difficult. I know it's hard. Listen, especially for those of you that maybe just recently got saved, and you're already a, a grandmother or a grandfather, and you think, well, um, I'm very, uh, he's already, all right, he's already done. I'll, I'll work on my grandchildren. No. That's still your child? Oh, but he's older already. He's already got a family. He's already got kids. No, 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 no. The Bible never said when he gets older, he's no longer your son. When she gets older, you could just let her go and just let her be. No, that's still yours. Those are your children. You are still the steward of their life. As difficult as it is, as difficult as it may seem, even for some of you, and believe me, I get it. Some of you, your children tell you, I don't even want to talk to you. Because maybe when you were out there on the shepherd's field and on the battlefield, you didn't care about them. And so all of a sudden, they remember that. They're hurt. They're hurt. No, I'm never talking to you. You're not my dad. You're not my mom. Now, I put it this way. I, was, I grew up in a nice family, and I still said that. Did you ever say that before? You're not my mom. You're not my dad. Did you guys ever say that? I, okay, maybe it was just me then. 
I used to say that. You're not my dad. I don't like you. I hate you. But you're never in this family. I'm never born in this family. And my dad would go, all right, are you done? No, I hate this family. Are you done? Yeah. Okay, let's go get ice cream. All right. <laughs> because a dad knows his son. He didn't have to explain himself. Didn't have to go into this long old lecture. Well, listen to me. You can't say that. No, he understood. I was a little kid. I was immature. See, some of you right now, you have a 35-year-old immature son still. It's okay. You may, might have messed up like King David. That's what he did. He messed up. He had older kids, but they were still immature. They grew old. They just never grew up. That's what happened here with David. David neglected his very own disciples. He neglected his very own family. He lost control of it by trying to please everyone else. The second failure that he had, now stay with me here because we're coming to something. The second failure that he had is that he spoiled himself in excessive extremes of his very own passion. When you read the life of David, when he killed, he destroyed. Like, read it for yourself. I mean, when he would go out there and he would kill, like, his very first killing that everyone knows, Goliath, right? And we talked about it. He went out there and he killed Goliath, but he made sure. He cut off his head. He took the trophies. And then what does it say? He said, and they went and they conquered the Philistines. They didn't just say, that's it. Okay, we got your champion. All right, I got this. He said, no, no, no. All of you guys are now going to die. And from a young boy, that's how he always was. He said, no, 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 I can't just kill. I'm going to kill everything. Well, the same way, he, he was like that even with his passions of love. I can't just love. I'm going to love everything that moves. 20 kids. Starting to see where I'm going with this? The extreme passions that David had, he could not control it. He let his passions get away, literally, with murder. When he loved, he loved with all his heart, even with numerous wives and numerous concubines as a result. You see, his appetite also led him to inappropriate seasons of leisure, even as we read with Bathsheba. This is very important. His laziness caused lustfulness, which led to lying, which led to death. Listen to me. His laziness caused lustfulness. Be careful of the idle time with your idle mind. Be very careful with that. Well, I'm the king. I'm the man. No one could tell me nothing. The funny thing is, is that your flesh is going to tell you something. And if you're not careful with that thing, now listen, right away you hear me as a man, so you think I'm talking just to the men. I'm not talking just to the men. I'm talking to the women. I'm talking to the women as well. And don't think for a second, oh, it's just, a, it's just a crush. It's no big deal. My husband knows. He understands. It's not a big deal. That's exactly what David thought. Because he thought like that way as a kid. It's not a big deal. And then the big deal that wasn't there turned into a huge family. Well, I, I, I didn't. I didn't think it was a big deal. I mean, you know, it was just, I was just by myself. Nobody was there. Nobody's around. You know, I just, I just kind of wanted to be alone with just me, myself, and I. Sometimes you, yourself, and I are your, your worst enemies. You can be very, very careful. Somebody would say the, the idle mind is the devil's playground. You can go in there and just try to play with you here. And when the devil starts playing hopscotch with you, you better be careful. He starts with hopscotch, and then he, sooner or later, he leads you to this part of the playground, and he'll lead you to, from hopscotch to scotch, <laughs> then from scotch to some white powder, then from some white powder to the bedroom, and then from bedroom to the death sentence. You got to be very careful with that. David didn't understand that. His failure is that he was always one of those, man, if I'm going to go all out, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to do everything with all I got. Well, actually, that's a scary thing. 
you better be very careful with that. I know maybe when you were growing up, you you were taught, man, go all out with everything of what you got. No, no, actually, you better be disciplined in your tongue. Because some people, oh, man, I love to talk. I love to talk. Oh, that's good. I'm glad you love to talk, but you better learn how to tame as well. Better learn to tame that tongue. That tongue will get you in trouble. Oh, I just like to talk. I just, I just like to speak my mind. I just like, listen, my friend, some of you, your mind, keep it in your head. I'm just speaking the truth. I'm just speaking the truth. Are you really speaking the truth, or are you speaking your opinion that feels like truth? This is true. This is, a, this is the truth. I'm just speaking the truth. Are you sure about that? Are you positive about that? One thing that I've learned, when I was in high school, I thought I knew it all. Then as I got out of high school, I realized, I don't know, Jack. But then I started acquiring some wisdom, which made me then in turn think, I'm knowing it all. Then I've just got to a point in my life, I would say about a good mm, 12 years ago, 12, 13 years ago, that I realized that everything that I do, I just want to learn. I just want to be humble about it. Learning from him, learning from her, not saying, I've got it all together. It's all me. I've learned this. I got this. I don't know. No, no, no. But if you start saying too much I, I would be very, very careful. Because the only thing that happens with I is I, yai, yai. Because that's what happens when you go get wisdom. Pastor, hey, can you help me with this situation? What's the situation? Well, this happened. Ay, ay, ay. Those are the first words that you hear. Man, why would you do that? Well, I thought, you know, ah, man. why didn't you get counsel first? Rather than trying to get out of it now. This is what happened with David. When he loved, he loved deeply. When he killed, he killed greatly. But he didn't have the true discipline that he needed. Oswald Sanders said, David's greatest fault lay in his yielding to passions of the flesh. My friend, you and I got to be very careful. When it comes to this thing we call flesh, you need to know something. It wants to rule you every day of your life. Eat now. Sleep now. Say this now. Go here now. Do this now. Do that. And if you're not careful and you don't have this flesh under subjection, then, my friend, you're going to do that. My friend, if you find yourself in the wrong place with the wrong people at the wrong times, eventually you're going to make the wrong decision. No matter how hard. Oh, no, I got the right motives. Well, your motives can be right, but when you're in the wrong environment, no matter how hard you try, you're going to make a wrong decision. You better be careful for those of you that are in an environment right now of a place that where you shouldn't be at. If you know that that co-worker's coming in there at that time and you know that you're a married man or you're a married woman and that guy keeps on coming in and he's flirting with you and it's just flirting, it's just no big deal. No, my friend, that flirting just starts with that but little by little by little that flirting comes, starts beginning into inquiries and inquiries are knowledge and knowledge is intimacy. Start getting intimate details, intimate stuff that really only your husband or your wife should know about it see it starts small and this is what happened with david his laziness caused lustfulness now listen to me i'm not saying that you have to sleep with the person in order to fall in lust my friend you could sleep with the person in your head before anything ever happens in your head and that's why jesus said you've heard it said before that if a man lay with another woman who is not your wife that's committing adultery well i tell you if a man looks at another woman lustfully he has committed adultery even in your mind you got to be very careful see that's why many times there are certain movies i remember that uh, when we, i was growing up in christianity we used to have this thing well well i can take it and you can't you know what i've learned now nah, i just forget it it's not even it's not even worth it to take it no matter how long I've been saved, if there's a certain movie that I know, like, man, this, oh, this is just bad. Well, it's rated PG-13. It's not a big deal. Wait, so you're telling me that you're going off the ratings and the values of the world? PG-13 movies now? Oh, my gosh. Some of them, and I'm talking PG-13. PG-13 movies now, back in the 40s and 50s, that would be rated X. Not even R. X. You're like, what, what in the world? Last night, 
I'm watching Sports Center with my son. I love Sports Center. I'm watching Sports Center. And I'm there. We're just watching it. Goes to commercial. As it goes to commercial, and I see this commercial all the time, and all the. Uh, but I totally forgot. I didn't think about it. In my mind, it was like, oh, it's going to commercial. So as it went to commercial, I'm sitting there with my son. We're watching. And I get on my phone, and all of a sudden, I hear it. And it says, you want to go talk to a singles now? Call Live Links. <laughs> You've laughed because you've seen it, right? I was like, what, what? And I, I look up, I go, oh, Stevie, give me that remote control. Give, give me that thing. And you know my son, because, you know, he's my first disciple. So I go, I go, Stevie, give me that thing. I look up at my son, and he's like this. <laughs> I've already taught him. Hey, you, you don't look at that stuff. Don't do that. But this is the thing. This is the catcher. I don't tell him you don't look at that stuff because daddy don't look at that stuff. See, a lot of times we say, oh, no, no, you don't look at that. I can't, but you can't. Right? That's what happened with David. No, 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 I could take it. You, you can't do it. But David, that was his second failure. I can handle it. I can handle it. You can't. But when reality and real, the real test comes, you realize you can't handle it. You can't handle that thing. Listen to me, husband. Listen to me, wife. Listen to me, single. You may think, I can handle it. That mind of yours, the enemy, he loves to play with you. He loves to play with you. Don't think for a second you're ever alone. The enemy is always waiting. He's always waiting for you. But this is the great thing. Because the enemy is always waiting for you, so is your Savior. He's also waiting for you as well. He's waiting for you with open arms, saying, I have given you the victory. I can help you overcome. You will be an overcomer, and you do not have to subject yourself to anything of the enemy's tactics. You've got the victory. Tell your neighbor, you got the victory. His third one and the last one, and I'm going to talk about, and I end with this. His third tragic failure of David, King David, was that he became a victim of self-sufficiency and pride. He told Joab to go number the people as a king. And because of his pride, this is what's very important. You may think, well, it's just my pride. I don't affect anybody. That's just how I am. That's just the way I think. David thought the same thing. Now listen to me, leaders. This is very important. This is a leadership tip right here. Your pride will affect your followers. Listen to me. Your pride will affect your followers. I don't care if you have one follower. It'll affect them. David's pride affected and killed 70,000 people. Because he had a vast army, and he did. It, that was true. No, no lying in that. The problem was is that God gave him the army. He wanted to number what God gave him. What do I got? How much do I got? What do I got? Let's take a look. Let's take a little inventory of what God has blessed me with. That's how he thought. And God told him, don't do that. No, 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 no. It's okay, God. I got this. I got this. I got this. So he told Joab, go number them all. And while they were numbered, 70,000 in the next fight had the judgment of God. You need to know something here this morning. Your song of tomorrow is being written by your struggle of today. Turn with me to Psalms, uh, excuse me, 2 Samuel chapter 22, and I conclude with this. You can come to the piano. If you have a Bible, please turn with me here because this is important. This is how I'm concluding the whole four-part series with this scripture. Second Samuel chapter 22, if you have it, say amen. I can hear a few pages turning still. Second Samuel 22, page 189. All right, thank you. For those on the podcast that didn't hear him, that was a man that said, page 189. 2 Samuel chapter 22. Now, before we start reading, look with me here real quick, and then we're going to read. About a month ago, I started this series called it Under Construction, and we looked at the life of David. And from David, 
as a young boy, being the youngest of his family, seeing that he was counted out before he was even counted on, seeing that before he even got on the battlefield, he was told to go back and tend to some sheep on a shepherd's field. Before he got a chance to kill Goliath, before he got a chance to do anything, before anything happened, God knew exactly what he was doing. But it took David a long time to figure it out. There may be some of you here that you've gone through some battles, you've gone through some testings, and you're still trying to figure it out. Listen, you're in good company. I don't care if you've been saved 10 days or 10 years, you're still in good company. Don't think you have to have it all together. Well, I've been saved for 20 years. I've been saved for 30 years. David didn't become king until he was 30. And then even after that, he went into Hebron for seven and a half years. And even after that, it took him a while to realize, oh, my gosh, I was a horrible father. After all these things that he went through, this is the song that David wrote. 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1. David sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold. He is my refuge and my savior. From violent people, you save me. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and have been saved from my enemies. The waves of death swirled around me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to my God. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came to his ears. The earth trembled and quaked. The foundations of heaven shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed from out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his canopy around him. The dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, bolts of lightning blazed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundation of the earth laid bare at rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of his breath of his nostrils. He reached down from on high and he took a hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out, of, out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I am not guilty of turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him and have kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness according to my cleanness in his sight to the faithful you show yourself faithful to the blameless you show yourself blameless to the pure you show yourself pure but to the devious you show yourself shrewd you save the humble but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them low you lord are my lamp the Lord turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. Mm. 
As for God, His way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in Him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. He keeps my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand in the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You make your saving help my shield. Your help has made me great. You provide a broad path for my feet so that my ankles do not give way. I pursued my enemies and crushed them. I did not turn back till they were destroyed. I crushed them completely and they could not rise. They fell beneath my feet. You armed me with strength for battle. You humbled my adversaries before me. You made my enemies turn their backs in flight and I destroyed my foes. They cried for my help, but there was no one to save them. To the Lord, but he did not answer. I beat them as fine as the dust of the earth. I pounded and trampled them like mud in the streets. It's good stuff. You have delivered me from the attacks of the peoples. You have preserved me as the head of nations. People I did not know now serve me. Foreigners cower before me. As soon as they hear of me, they obey me. They all lose heart. They come trembling from their strongholds. The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be my God, the rock, my Savior. He is the God who avenges me, who puts the nations under me, who sets me free from my enemies. You exalted me above my foes. From a violent man, you rescued me. Therefore, I love this, I will praise you. Lord among the nations, I will sing the praises of your name. He gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. Give the Lord your Savior a hand of praise. As I read this, I read the whole chapter, I know that. As I read this, the f- one, first thing I thought about was, first, this whole thing is a song. The second thing I thought of was, oh my gosh, pity us. When we sing a song, don't we repeat it like ten times? We'll repeat it. Lord, you are good and your mercy is good. Lord, you are good and your mercy is good. Lord, you are good. When he sang a song, he kept writing. He kept going. Listen to me. Your struggles of today are writing your song for tomorrow. Don't think, I did it once, I'm done. This guy kept singing, and he kept singing, and he kept singing. The moment you think he was done, the moment he probably thought he was done, he kept singing, and he kept singing, and he kept singing. Some of you are right now, you are in the struggle of your life. Don't stop singing. Some of you feel like giving up. Don't stop singing. Some of you feel like, I can't take this anymore. Don't stop singing. I know it's tough. I know it's hard. But even David, even in the midst of his all, in the midst of it all, he's like, man, forget this. I can't do this, man. I, I, I can't have this. Listen to, listen to me. Some of you, you quit high school at ninth grade. You quit high school at 10th grade because you said, I can't take this. I don't want this anymore. So now you're starting to develop a habit. You're 40 years old and you're 45 years old. And all of a sudden now, when you hear them talk about, go educate yourself. I ain't doing that. No. Stop that. Don't listen to the ninth grade you. Don't do that. It wasn't a big deal then. It's not a big deal now. No, it is a big deal. Well, I know I messed up when I was, I'll do my grandkids. No, you still have your kids. Don't do that. 
I know you want, well, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just. Can you imagine if David would just like, well, you know, I, well, what's done is done. It, and we, ha, we even have this phrase nowadays. It, it is what it is. No, it's not. It is what you make it. It's what you make it. Don't give me that it is what it is stuff. It is what you make it. And if something has already been made, then change it. You're not a tree. Change it. You don't have to wait for everything else and everyone else to dictate what has to be done in your life. No. God created a path for you. God constructed a path for you. It's up to you to just say, you know what, okay, God, I'll let this go. God, you take over. I'm tired of doing things my way. It took David a while for him to realize that. Some of you, you're maybe at the age of David. It's time for you to wake up. But some of you, you're still at the age of shepherd boy David. You're still at the age of soldier boy David. You got a chance to change it before it happens. Don't find yourself later on in life trying to do something, pressing repeat. It's not working. David realized, I can't press the repeat button. I got to sing a new song. I got to sing a new song. Some of you right now, listen to me. A lot of times, and, and really, uh, I, I think I'm going to have to do this because I was talking to some of the young people the other day. I, I got to come, and I'm going to do a study on music, and I'm going to give you guys this thing on music, but this is what I've learned. Even when it comes to music, now, I'm a musician because I play something, but you're a worshiper because you can worship someone. It's very important. And so a lot of times we think, oh, let's give it to the worship team. They're going to sing songs unto God. And then I'll just sing whatever they sing. If, if they're lifting their hands, I'll lift my hands. If they're singing fast, then I'll sing fast. If they're singing slow, I'll, I'll sing whatever they're singing. David got tired of that. He got tired of that. I'm going to do what they're doing. I'm going to go, forget that. That's actually where we get the reference of dancing like David. That's where we get it from. And you know what he actually did? The Bible says he tore his ephod. These stories of that. Now, when you learn the, the customs, that was not supposed to happen. Matter of fact, they weren't even supposed to be dirty. It was not supposed to be dirty, let alone torn. So when he tore it, <gasps> what are you doing? You were, you know what he was essence really saying? He was tearing off the customs of old. He said, I'm tired of doing the same thing all the time like everyone else forget that I'm tired of that listen to me stop looking at everything and everyone else and saying it's his fault it's her fault if my dad would have did this if my mom would have did this my husband will change if my wife will change if this will happen if my kids will just listen to me if this will just take place if my boss gave me more money if this were to happen listen to me David had all those excuses until finally he said forget it I am going to allow God to be number one within my life and I don't care who knows it I don't care who sees me and I am going to sing this song unto God listen to me right now some of you you might be in a struggle don't call your best friend she doesn't have the advice for you that you need don't be calling that guy don't be calling that girl don't be turning on Dr. Phil don't be turning on Dr. Oprah what you really need is you need to get on your doctor knees and listen to the great physician so he can talk to you and he can get intimate with you and you can get to know him while you fight for him intimacy I know you're fighting I know you're fighting I know it's difficult I know it's hard but even in the midst of your fighting the Bible says that David inquired of the Lord because he inquired of the Lord he could sing a song I'm not asking you to sing a song from here I'm asking you to sing a song from here I give you my heart I give you my soul Lord I give you my everything I give you my being I give you my all in all I surrender my favorite thing some of you your favorite thing is you <laughs> stop doing that we live in a selfless generation that's another message for another day that's why we take selfies all day we're a bunch of selfless selfish people but David even realized that. 
Say, I give it up. Some of you here today, you need to give something up. I don't know what it is, but you need to give it up. Sing a song. I'm not asking you to sing from here. Sing from here. Try it. I'm actually telling you a practical thing. This is not a, a, a figurative thing or an allegorical thing or an analogy. Try what I'm actually telling you. Sing the song. Find a song, any song. If you don't have a song, write a song. God, you've delivered me from my exes. I don't know. Now, it sounds funny to me because I don't have exes. But for some of you, you do. You've delivered me from the drug and the powder. I don't serve it no more. God, it's just you and me. And that's all I ever want. It's all I'll ever need. Just you and me. I don't know. Write a song. Doesn't have to be great. We're not going to put it on the radio. You don't need that. It's not going to make the top 100. But hopefully it'll be in your top 100. Your favorite song. Next time somebody gets into your car, say, sit there. I got a song. I want you to hear it. Here it goes. But the radio's not on. I know. I'm going to sing it for you. <laughs> Try it. Happened with David, and it worked for him. My prayer is, while you're in your struggle, allow the new song to come from your heart. Stand with me here this morning.